0: Listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White.
1: Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners, an agency made for manufacturers. Joining us today on the episode is James Stanaway. James is the director of marketing at Epilogue Laser. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, James.
2: Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate being here.
3: You know, uh, James, um, this marks perhaps the first time Jeff's neglected to introduce me as part of the uh, co-host on the podcast. Joining me, I think it's kind of like—I mean, it's a real kind of an elbowing me out of the (laughs) the the spotlight here. Yeah. Um, But and and, I'm I'm really ashamed that you had to be here to witness it. Yeah. But you know, we're gonna do the do our best with uh, this episode. Will I be (laughs) talking to your lawyer later? Is that what's going on, Um, James? Let's uh. Look, why don't we start uh, by getting a little serious for a moment. Why don't you introduce us to Epilogue Laser and tell us more about yourself?
2: Yeah, sure. So uh, Epilogue Laser is a manufacturer of CO2 and fiber laser engraving and cutting systems. And basically what that means is we make a machine that you can put almost any material in the system and you can print your design to the laser to engrave and cut that material. So it's everything from electronics engraving, barcoding, awards, uh, signage, guitar engraving, greeting cards, pet tags, almost anything. It's really up to your imagination. And uh, it's really what makes marketing this company so fun because we work with so many different industries that one day I'll be uh, putting together marketing pieces targeted to breweries. The next day, the music industry, the next day, you know, industrial market. So truly never gets boring.
3: And
1: despite the, you know, I mean, th- these are not inexpensive machines, you know, they uh, they start, uh, I believe you've mentioned around, around eight grand. That's correct. Um, so, I mean, despite that, they, they've also had some penetration with home hobbyists and things like that who end up building businesses around it.
2: That's right. Yeah. We're definitely seeing a lot of that, especially with the explosion of Etsy. You know, a lot of people are finding out that they can You know, buy a eight thousand dollar laser and basically start their own business. So a lot of home businesses that are using it, and uh, you know, even home woodworkers, we're seeing a growth in that market because uh, a lot of those woodworkers, you know, they're spending a lot of money on equipment, and so eight thousand dollars might be a little higher than they're used to, but uh, it just adds so many things they can do with the laser that. They they're definitely turning to that machinery as
3: well.
1: I'd love to spend some time in their garages. I bet <laughs> some cool cool stuff.
3: Uh, this is the difference between Jeff and I. Like I'm like. The, the, just even the concept of trying to be at all handy in any way, um, yeah. My my father won't be pleased to hear this, uh, but uh, you know, it's, I can't even fathom it. But uh, yeah. but nevertheless, uh, I'm well aware of the countless millions who actually enjoy that kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the uh, James what really um i mean there's a lot of of the marketing of epilogue that that i've found impressive i would say one thing that just stands out is you know real runaway success in in the use of video youtube channels now over four and a half million views well well over um and uh you you know and that's something that i think a a lot of manufacturers would uh, uh would envy and Um, And and a lot of manufacturing um, marketers would dearly hope to have those metrics uh, as they maybe stare down the barrel of starting a a video strategy in some way, shape, or form. I'd love for you to take us through that a little bit and help us understand what you're doing there and give us a a bigger picture of it all.
2: Yeah, definitely. You know, we're really coming from a great position in that we've got such a visual tool. So it's something that's you know it directly relates to video, and uh, it just it communicates so well what the laser can do, when people can see what it's doing. So video was something we turned to very early on. Uh, when you can see that I can you know put my iPhone in the laser and I can engrave right on there and uh, take you know I've got a video out there where we created, well, I guess it was the year that the iPhone first came out, and you know, we did a martini glass around the apple, and uh, it had you know hundreds of thousands of views. So it just directly related to that, um, you know. And now what we're really looking at a lot is co creation with our customers for video because they have so many great stories that we can go out to them. We can show them using their laser. They can tell the story of how they got started, and it just you know it creates such a mindset of the maker movement of the ability to create the, it gets people really excited about the laser and works really well for
3: us. I mean, I can always, um, I think it's easy to see how the co-creation with customers help strengthen the relationship with said customers. Um, I'd be curious, um, are you seeing the, the your, your viewing uh, metrics also kind of hold up as you've transitioned to more and more customer video?
2: Yeah, definitely do. They definitely do. Cause so many of our customers, The prospects that are coming in, they're usually coming in with the idea of, you know, how is this going to make me money? And when you can actually show success stories of someone that went in with that same question, and you're able to show that through, uh, you know, what they tell us in the video and what they show us in the video, and they show that they had success with the laser and why they're so excited about using it every day, that it communicates a really great sales message for us. And it's been very popular as well. And, you know, a a big part of that too is you try to find people that have exciting stories that do well on camera and, you know, that are excited about lasering. And they, when you find those people, they're just, they put together such great content for you that it just communicates your message so well.
1: You're leveraging them not just for video content, but uh, also... You guys do an insane amount of trade shows, if I recall, 150 trade shows a year. And, you know, if you're going to a a wine or beverage-related show, you're able to work with an existing customer to bring samples of the work that they're making with your machines. Is that correct?
2: That's right. Um, Actually, tomorrow I'll be heading out to uh, go to the Wine and Spirits Guild. Uh, One of our customers is... uh, uh, the vice president of the association, he's going to be giving a talk specifically about how he uses a laser within his business and said, Hey, would you mind bringing a laser in and uh, showing it off to people? Uh, said, sure. You know, that sounds great. Great opportunity for us. So, you know, we kind of go in that direction, but then also at the trade shows themselves, you know, we'll often purchase samples from our customers because they can really put together samples that could take us, you know, hundreds of hours to create, whereas they've done it in 15 minutes because they specialize in that and they are creating these amazing things. So we give them some marketing as well because we'll actually put a sign next to it saying who created it and where people can purchase that same uh, product.
3: I want to just kind of rewind a little bit and try to understand where this all started and how you uh, bent to the task of creating what you've created. I mean, it, um, so I guess Before you started turning your attention to um, um, building out an in-house video production team, et cetera, um, I guess, where was your um, uh, marketing presence at, your website traffic, uh, lead generation, et cetera, and then um, how has it evolved?
2: Yeah, so I actually started at Epilogue in 2001. Uh, It was a very small company at the time. Um, We probably had about 30 employees, I think, at that point. And the marketing team was two people. So there was a trade show coordinator that handled uh, managing all those trade shows we go to. At the time, it was probably more like 30 trade shows at the time. And then my job was really to come in and just do everything else. So it was an exciting opportunity for me because I could, you know, touch everything from the graphic design to the website design to you know, uh, samples on the machine, just everything that we needed to do, it was really my job to do. So um, we kind of grew from there by looking first at what are the most important areas that we think we can see a lot of growth. And the biggest place there was definitely content. So uh, we added on a marketing communication specialist uh, that could write those stories for us and put together some really great content for the web, And a graphic designer to create those samples that could tell those stories. And then also a web designer.
3: And when was that approximately? I'm just trying to get an understanding on the timeline. Yeah, so uh,
2: I joined the company in 2001. Um, We added the marketing communications person probably in about 2003. And then basically every year after that, we've added on at least one person into the department. And now we're up to about uh, 13. Yeah, so, uh, you know, so much of it is about the storytelling, I think, that uh, finding those people that are going to be able to tell good stories is so important for a marketing department. And, uh, you know, when you're building a marketing department in a small business, the biggest thing is definitely finding people that are willing to jump in and help out wherever they can. So a lot of those first people we added on Uh, were probably more so jacks of all trades because I needed someone that could write and design as well uh, when we added the first position. When you add a web designer, you need someone that can also maybe take the photos of the samples and get them ready. So it's finding people that are going to be a cohesive unit and be able to jump in and help each other. And, you know, I'm most of the people that we added on those early days. They're still with us. So, I mean, it really says a lot for how the uh, the department works together, I think.
1: And you said that the company in 2001 was just 30 people with a couple of marketing people. How big is, is Epilogue now?
2: So we have about 150 employees and uh, we have three facilities now. So uh, we manufacture the machines in Golden, Colorado. And then we have offices also in uh, the Netherlands and in Canada as well. And then we sell through distributors. So we've got about 70 distributors located worldwide that sell the machines themselves.
1: That's, you know, it's phenomenal growth. And of course, we, we should attribute all of it, or at least a good portion of it, to the great content and storytelling and marketing that you've been doing in order to help grow the company. Um,
2: you know, that's what I tell the company every day. and <laughs>
1: <laughs> Justify the existence. Yeah. Yeah. Um when when did you begin to make the move into video? And, and was it kind of once you saw YouTube as a platform that you could begin to leverage? Or, or were you doing it even before then?
2: Uh, yeah, it was probably about in 2005 that we started to really take video seriously. And, uh, you know, it, a lot of times what the video would be focused around would be a specific project. So, you know, we would find a material that we wanted to show being engraved. And we would come up with a cool design for it. And we'd put it out there and just kind of see what, was, what people were communicating with, what they thought was exciting. And you can see that so quickly through the viewership of the videos, whether or not it's something that is really resonating or not.
1: So the... Oh, please. I was just going to say, so the initial videos are more sort of case studies on on what could be done with the machine, but uh, obviously the the types of uh, content and videos that you're producing now, I mean, you're doing how-tos and training and more showcase videos, product demos, all of that sort of thing. What do you find gets the most uh, traction with your prospects now?
3: You
2: know, the the most traction is always the uh, how-to videos, actually, because, uh, people love to see the step-by-step process that we go through when we're creating something. And uh, it it really takes them from that moment of, you know, we have an idea. This is something that we could do. How is it going to work out for us? We're not sure. You know, we don't know necessarily how that engraving is going to turn out. So it, it, when you can kind of show them your entire creative process, they really get excited about that. And they love to see all those steps in the process.
3: I'd be really curious about what surprises have kind of come up along, along the way. I mean, you're well over well we're 14 years into video creation. And, uh, and my guess is you've learned an awful lot along the way. Um, and there must have been some things along the way that you thought Jesus is going to be, uh, you know, just a rocket ship success story and it falls flat on its face and vice versa. Um, what has what 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 has been your experience there? What, what's been the, what have been the surprises?
2: You know, one of the things that worked out really well for us at the start—that's not uh, that we've seen—we've been surprised by how kind of how the fall off has been in that area is webinars. You know, we started out doing some webinars pretty early on, where you could actually watch the entire—you uh, know—every aspect of the laser from uh, how we design it to you know how you could. Uh, use the different features of the system as well and it was really really popular at first when we saw a ton of views on those and then it kind of fell off over the years as uh, people kind of went for different storytelling types um, one of our biggest successes was definitely when we did uh, engraved that first ipad and iphone and as soon as one of those came out you know i went out and i bought it and i would try to find some cool design to put on it um, you know I, I went back for a high school reunion a few years ago and someone's like, pull out your phone. I wanna see the engraving on the back. I'm like, oh my gosh, you saw that? they're like, yeah, yeah, I loved that. I saw it on a, I ran across it on the web and it was really exciting to see. So, you know, trying to find those things that are going to be the next big thing to engrave, that a lot of times is what we find is gonna be the most successful
0: for us. If you're a B2B business, don't let the label distract you from the fact that ultimately you're not selling to companies you're still selling to people. Understanding who those people are and how best to reach them should be the cornerstone of your digital marketing strategy. We've created the B2B Buyer Persona Template to help you combine demographics, psychographics, and firmographics to triangulate your ideal buyers. Download it now at bit.ly B2B Template. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash B2B Template.
3: It's it's kind of interesting because I wonder if, um, you know, part of the tale of, of your success here is the, you know, it almost um, B2C nature of your, albeit a B2B product. Um, because, I mean, there literally would be millions of use cases for this. It's not the kind of situation where we're dealing with, you know, a, a thousand possible companies in the world that could buy your stuff. I mean, this is... And I, and I think, you know, just because of that, um, your you're, you're marketing that maybe is a little bit more B2C in nature has been successful. Like what, when you said that about the engraving of the back of an iPhone versus a webinar, well, in a highly technical sale, um, you know, often you would think the webinar would be very helpful. Yeah. You know, you'd be in direct contact with the expert, et cetera. Um, so I'm almost talking out of both sides of my mouth because at on the one hand, I think probably this is a fairly technical sale, too. Um, How do you square that with this notion of maybe you're a bit more B2C than some people have the luxury of being?
2: You know, it, it really creates a great opportunity for us being able to talk to, you know, a lot of these industrial companies in more of a B2C way in some ways. Because, you know, for example, at trade shows, you know, we'll go to IMTS and a lot of the big industrial shows. And the first thing that people do is we've got the machine right at that front of the booth. So they're walking up and they're seeing the machine grave, And a lot of times their first thought goes to, oh, my gosh, this is so cool. How could I use this at home? And uh, we've got a ton of samples there showing that. And then it's kind of a, you take them through the process. You start talking to them about what else it can do. And you move them from seeing a really graphic engraving into how it can do the barcoding, how it can do the serializing, and how they could actually be using it in their business and their day-to-day things. So we often use that B2C angle to get them interested and then take them onto that technical side. And it's something that's really unique to our product line. I think that we can do that. Um, I don't know if there's a lot of manufacturers that can necessarily do that same type of thing.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's not a, uh, it's certainly not a strategy that's open to everyone, but my guess is there's somebody listening to this podcast that it is a strategy that's open to them. Um, you know, I can think of uh, other examples, actually, interestingly, a former podcast guest um, uh, from Klein tools. When I think of that as a uh, effectively, yes, it's a B2B brand, but it, Fundamentally, functions in a B to C capacity, and yeah. just because there's you know hundreds of thousands of electricians or what have you, you could buy them as well as home hobbyists, et cetera. So, it's uh, it's actually not that dissimilar, and uh, and like you, they've had a lot of success with video content creation. Uh, so, um, it's a pretty interesting playbook, actually. Yeah, I find that a, a, a fantastic angle. That notion of capturing attention at those trade shows. Uh, appealing to somebody as a consumer or just as a homeowner or hobbyist and then showing them how to use it in their business. That's fantastic.
2: Yeah, because it's so difficult a lot of times for people to, you know, when we're at a show, there's so much you can do with the laser. I can't put all of that in front of them immediately. So drawing them in first and then kind of getting to that point really kind of works out better for how we can get them excited about the laser system.
1: And you mentioned the, uh, the webinar content specifically that, you know, put it out, it, it did well at first and then it dropped off. Do you find that, um, is there any of the video content? I mean, obviously the how-tos must, must fit this mold, but, uh, you know, that, that has a, you know, just a, a consistent viewership where even, you know, three, four years after being published, you're still seeing, you know, people watching it month over month.
2: Yeah, we definitely see that, you know, uh, one of our early webinars that we did actually, because we started out kind of coming to the webinars from the industrial side standpoint, because we thought that would speak very well to the industrial clientele. And the first couple did work out well. And then we came out with this one that specifically talked about just creativity in the laser. And that's been one of our most viewed videos. We've been using it for years and years, something that we should definitely update, but you know, it strikes a chord with people, it gets them excited. And so we've kind of played around with lots of different ways to bring those people in. The other thing we see with the webinars is uh, a lot of times a lot of the attendees are our current customers because they're, they're hoping that we show them something new. So that's a lot of times what we're trying to work on is find find new things to do with the laser that could spark their excitement as well because that's often many of the people that want to attend those things.
1: Do you have a good sense at this point what the you know, what, what that sales journey looks like from someone attending one of your trade shows, seeing a demo, perhaps watching a video when they get home or whatever, what's, what's the next step? What, what do they, what do they do from there?
2: Well, you know, the demo itself is often done with our distributors. So what they'll do is at the trade show, they'll see the machine, they'll get really excited about it. And then what they often say they do is they go back to their hotel room and they're looking up videos immediately and they want to see everything that they can do with the laser and the next day they come back to the trade show and they talk to me again and then they uh you know i really try to at that point get them to uh set up a demonstration with their distributor because that's really the best way to do it they can bring in some of their own materials they can try it out hands-on if they have designs that they like to work with, they could actually bring that design in and you know, try running it on the laser because it really shows how easy it is to use the system. Um, at that point, a lot of times after that demonstration, that's when they're really sold. Um, they've seen the, who they're gonna be working with on the sale and they've been able to communicate through that. And so it can go very quickly at that point.
3: I'd be curious, backing up just a bit, um... Just a, kind of on the quantity of video content creation on an annual basis. Uh, you know, we have a, a, not an insignificant size team at 15, but I mean, they can't uh, boil the ocean either. Um, uh, how, uh, how much are you cranking out on an annual?
2: Well, it really depends from year to year, because right now what we're focusing on as much as anything is on some technical videos, because one of the things we've heard from our customers is they really want to have A lot of uh, how-to videos on how to replace parts, uh, you know, things that can really help them if they do have an issue uh, get up and running as quickly as possible. So we've put together a really extensive training site that walks you through how to create samples, how to, you know, do your first projects on the laser, and then if they did run into an issue, how to replace those parts. And, you know, it, it provides a lot of ongoing support for our customers, and it's a great sales tool we find for our distributors because, you know, they can actually pull that up and show that we have something that no one else out there is offering, that, you know, you're going to be able to be up and running quicker than ever just because we've got these videos. Um, Once we get through this first step of the training site, you know, we try to do two to three videos a month is really what our goal is, Um, and, it kind of depends on, you know, what the, uh, what content we're working on. Cause a lot of times uh, we'll have a specific page in the website that we'll be targeting. So we're going to work on a video that talks specifically to that market and, you know, kind of move through our uh, content list that way.
3: I think for a lot of marketers, um, they try to, you know, they feel like they have to come to some sort of a balance around, um, uh, uh, co- content quality or co- production quality, and you know, getting it done. Um, uh, and you know, you can't make every uh, corporate video Pulp Fiction. You know? <laughs> um, Wouldn't it be cool if you could? Yeah. It? Well, I kind of wonder how have you arrived at that balance, or how do you feel you arrived at a at a, an appropriate balance there between uh, getting the job done and not spending too much to do it well you
2: know i mean it really comes down to where we're going to be placing that video Um, if it's something that if it's one of these uh, case studies of a customer success story and it's something that they're going to be using on their website as well because they're excited about the co-marketing that we're able to do then we're definitely going to try to go to a higher standard we're going to spend a lot more time on making sure that that's as polished as possible if it's something that's going to go on instagram And it's going to be, you know, a 15 second video. Let's just crank that out. Let's get that done quickly and get as many done as possible. So, you know, it is definitely a balance and uh, you have to be careful. I think when you hire video people that they understand that, because if you get someone that is too focused on making sure everything is perfect, you're just not going to get that content cranked out in the way you need to.
1: So what you're saying is, if you hire someone who comes in wearing a beret, you should be concerned.
2: <laughs> you know that—that's the first thing I look for, actually, guys. Uh, if they're wearing a beret. <laughs> <laughs> I
3: don't, it is, what I is don't it film is people the, in berets? Yeah, but you're, I'm, I'm picturing a few right now. Yeah. And I know. Well, the film school is like two blocks it, away. And so. if they don't have berets currently, they certainly did at one point in the <laughs> past. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess it is a. I think in some ways it's a, it's an easier rule of thumb. Like say the video goes up on Instagram versus something that your customers are using to communicate, um, driving a different level of, um, of production quality. On the one hand, that makes sense to me. On the other, kind of part of me wants to be contrary and say, yeah, but that Instagram thing could go crazy and then wouldn't yeah. you want it to look great? Um, but uh, it it does kind of point to maybe there's a, cost of collaboration as you start to do the co-creation with customers um, that you you ought to be uh, prepared to maybe spend a little bit more just given the nature of who you're interacting with to create it is that Something you tend to agree with?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, and uh, just the fact that we're traveling to them adds a lot of cost just because, you know, we're going to have to rent a lot of times cameras and lighting and everything else to be able to do that on site at their facilities. Whereas if if it's something we can do in-house, you know, we already have those things. And so uh, it it, it creates a lot less complication when we're trying to do something in-house.
3: Yeah, I bet. James, I wonder what you, uh, in our parting minutes, um, if you have any kind of uh, uh, parting advice that you might uh, give our listeners as yeah. they uh, go to create uh, perhaps an in-house uh, content creation team to uh, to match what the good folks at Epilogue have been doing.
2: Yeah, you know, I think I think the biggest thing to remember is you're not alone out there. Uh, there are so many marketers that are working in the B two B area that have been where you are. Um, You know so often when i attend marketing conferences i hear solutions presented to problems in a world that i don't necessarily live in uh, because they're targeted towards companies with hundreds of employees in marketing and with strictly divided duties within those departments so i that's not necessarily what you want to hear when you're just trying to build your team but you know just don't let it stress you out as a b2b marketer in a small to medium-sized company you, you have one of the best jobs in the world because you have that unique opportunity to touch every part of marketing and you can build your video team from scratch and, you know, start out with just, uh, you know, one person and grow it as you need to and really just kind of grow your content.
3: Um, I, I wonder if you might share with us what some of those early ROI metrics were when, that, that kind of helped you um, gain buy-in from the company to continue to invest.
2: Yeah, for ROI, you know, uh, we we definitely look at, we try to track back every sale to where the person first heard about us. That's the biggest thing for us. Uh, so every sale that comes in, um, you know, a lot of times since it's, we're working with distributors and not through direct sales, you know, it's it's more of a challenge to be able to do that. But since we are able to collect so much lead data, what we'll do is actually uh, find out how many leads are coming from every campaign we do and how many sales are coming from that. And we can track out what those, you know, what the return on investment of each marketing campaign was. So that's really what I do a lot of times when I'm trying to add a new position is if I can say from these videos, we've actually seen this many sales and you know, this is the average sale price per video that we're doing. If I can increase that by adding a video person, then I can, you know really prove to the company that there's a lot of value to that position
3: how early in the evolution of the marketing uh, function at Epilogue, did you build such robust closed loop analytics? Because, as you say, it's, uh, I think a lot of people find themselves not even—you uh, know—they'd love to be able to keep score at that uh, at that level, but they just don't have the the wherewithal to do it. They don't have the systems in place. You know, I'm
2: I actually kind of lucked out in that I one of my first positions was in database design, so I kind of built our first database from scratch. So. When I went into building that database, a lot of it was built with the idea of how am I going to be able to track things back? because I knew that was going to be so important to the company. They're a data-driven company, and being able to prove that was important. So um, you know, we kind of built our first system with that in mind. So right from the start, we were doing that. And you know, it, it just kind of it really helped give the company a lot of uh, a lot of uh, feeling that I could. Build the marketing department if they allowed me to add on people because they could see that every transaction that was turning out well, every campaign that was turning out well for us, um, and we could prove that to them.
1: That that I mean, what a fantastic foundation to start from. And I, I wonder how many how many marketers do that first, like that, before mm-hmm. beginning to build out their uh, their team and, and and use it to prove the ROI, or do they do the do the uh the interesting work or the cool work as it were and create the content and then try and build a system to track the effectiveness of it like I, i'm not sure but yeah, that, not everybody brilliant.
3: has the benefit of having created the database from scratch uh, <laughs> <laughs> for, sure. for uh, sure uh which i uh but james is a unique and fascinating story thank you so much for sharing it with us today and for taking us into a bit of detail around uh, epilogues epilogue's uh, marketing. I really uh, thank you for the insights today. Yeah, definitely thanks for
2: having me.
0: welcome best.
3: All right, thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at KulaPartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A Partners.com slash the Cooler Ring.